0: you may be seated it is a privilege this morning to introduce you to our district superintendent Uh, He is our district superintendent. He is the district superintendent of the Penn York District, and he's here with us this morning. He was a part of some meetings right here in our facility yesterday that I participated in, and uh, as a part of that, while we were planning some things over the last several months, he said, hey, what's going on 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 Sunday? And I said, if you're staying over, I would love uh, for you to uh, bring the message on the Sunday after our day of meetings yesterday. So uh, it is really a privilege to introduce you to my friend and uh, our district superintendent, uh, Dr. Matt Pickering, is here with us from Horseheads, New York, this morning. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you Thank Good morning. District superintendent, that's a title after six years I'm still not completely comfortable with. But uh, maybe you could think about it this way. This is how I've chosen to think of the role. I don't think district so much as I think of the term family. I think family is maybe the better biblical uh, description of what a role like uh, mine or the role I have uh, is and how it fits. And what I mean by that is, is I get the privilege of traveling around and speaking in the 76 churches that make up the Penn York District and reminding those churches that they're a part of a larger family. I mean, you get that. We're a part of the Church Universal with a capital C. But in case you aren't familiar, or at the very least, let me remind you, you are a part of a district family, as Pastor Stevin was praying, that consists of 76 churches, of which you are one, uh, that extend all the way across Pennsylvania to, say, Route 15, if you want to take Route 15 that goes from Williamsport up, kind of cut the state in half, but then the northern tier of Pennsylvania all the way across to the eastern border, and then right straight up to Watertown and the uh, Canadian border on the eastern side of Lake on Ontario, follow Lake Ontario down to the cities of Syracuse and Rochester, and then straight back down uh, to Pennsylvania, New York-Pennsylvania border. That's our, that's our limit, our geographical limits. It's a big district in that sense. 76 churches, some in the, the deepest parts of the cities of our district, and some in places that Carmen and I have discovered GPSs won't even take you. <laughs> We've since figured those out enough to be able to get there, but we've had some interesting Sunday morning travels uh, initially trying to find churches. Uh, It's great to serve. And again, you're a part of a family of 76 churches. And what's been neat for us is we visit churches and look at bulletins or talk with church family. How many churches across the district pray for the other churches in the district? So I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but many of the churches across the district pray for you by name. They pray for your pastoral staff by name. They pray for your church by name. And some of them even go so far as to research things that you're doing, events that are happening, and pray specifically for them. I think it's important for every local church to be reminded you're not in it alone. And you know the Lord is with you. But one of the ways that God makes that very tangible and practical is that uh, the body of Christ gets to, to love on and care for and pray for each other and you need to be reminded that you're a part of a big family and that family cares about you and your district family prays for you and uh, really appreciates uh, the work that you do. Now the superintendent side of it is even a little harder for me. See when I was growing up the last place I wanted to end up was the superintendent's office. Our school system didn't have a principal, we had a superintendent and my dad always said if you end up in that office you're going to get it twice as much at home. So I just always figured, probably not a good plan to end up in that, that office. Someone asked me after the first service, did you ever end up there? Well, that's another story <laughs> for another time. And I said in the first service, maybe the superintendent part of it ought to be in effect with Steven. You know, I'm his boss, so I get to, uh, especially after the sleeping through the message comment just a little while ago. But uh Now, I get to be pastor. That's the term I prefer to hold on to as much as superintendent. I get to be the pastor of 76 churches and their pastoral teams by extension. Our district has more than 100 pastors, really way more than 100 pastors, assistant pastors, family pastors. I mean, you can go down through, and I get the privilege of being their pastor by extension. Uh, And uh, with that said, I would be remiss if I didn't say... In those travels, I get to see a lot of pastoral teams. I get to see a lot of pastors. And I'm here to tell you, you have an awesome team here at uh, Hyde Wesleyan. And uh, Pastor Steven, as your lead pastor, one of our great uh, young pastors in the district. Notice I threw the young part in there. Yeah. Uh, and love serving with him and everyone on your team. And I just want to say you have a great team. And you're so blessed uh, as a church. But the truth of the matter is you as a church family are a great example to the rest of the district in the way that uh, you love the Lord and you serve Him in your community. So thank you for your commitment to the Lord here and as you commit to be a part of the team as a district. Well, I do have the privilege of speaking to you today and I would like to speak to you along the lines of the idea of mission. And what I mean by that is I've always been fascinated with mission statements. When I was in school training for ministry, it was about the time that the church was really getting fascinated with mission statements. And I can remember being leadership classes and everything, you gotta have a mission statement, you gotta have a mission. And I remember thinking, "Eh, that's a fascinating idea. And uh, as a young pastor and then going through ministry, it's always been interesting to me to be in churches. You read mission statements on bulletins, you read mission statements maybe uh, on a poster in the lobby. Uh, In the church I pastor we plastered our mission statement in those adhesive letters you can order across the wall of our multi-purpose center. And what's interesting, though, and I think you know where I'm going with this, is that having a stated mission statement is is important. But the the question is, are you really fulfilling that mission? And what does that look like? read an article not too long ago in some business news about Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, it was about mission statements, so I was quite interested and got to reading. And, th- and the article was basically saying both places sell coffee, but neither place is in competition with each other. And that's true, right? They both sell coffee, but both businesses have a different mission statement. Dunkin' is all about America running on Dunkin', Right? And Dunkin', you, you can go into a Dunkin' Donuts and you can get a cup of coffee and donut and sit down there, but the atmosphere, you can tell, is not necessarily designed on purpose for people to come and to hang out there for hours upon hour. The district office in Hortz, in New York, when I get off the exit, off of Interstate 86, come down to the bottom of the ramp, there is a Dunkin' Donuts right there. Unfortunately because I'm getting off the exit about 730 in the morning and I go to turn and sometimes I cannot even turn at the light because the line coming out of the Dunkin Donuts drive-through goes out of the Dunkin Donuts through the plaza out of the plaza onto the street all the way to the ramp for Interstate 86 and so I've learned That as soon as I turn off that ramp, I have to not let my vehicle automatically turn the blinker off because the blinker stays on a few seconds too long and people think I'm pulling into the Dunkin' Donuts and I've almost been rammed into by somebody who has to have their coffee five seconds earlier than me because they see my blinker on kind of thing, right? It is crazy. But Dunkin' Donuts' design, again, is America runs on Dunkin', right? And most people... You might think I'm a little strange, but I thought about sitting in the parking lot and watching this whole thing happen on a a, a weekday morning. It's fascinating to me. Most people will not go in there. I'm thinking, you're 15 vehicles behind in the drive-thru. Would it ever occur you to pull in the parking lot go in? There is no one inside. Get your coffee and your donuts and get out of there sooner, right? And they don't. The design and the way Duncan has accomplished their mission is to be this place that America runs on Duncan. You get your coffee and you fly out of there 100 miles an hour and go on and do all the hundred things you got to do that day. Starbucks sells coffee too, but their model, their mission is completely different. I did see a Starbucks when you're on vacation this summer that had a drive-through, but most don't. Starbucks is completely different, right? You go into Starbucks and the atmosphere is designed for you to want to come in and stay. The way I look at it is you pay five bucks for coffee, you got to stay for a couple hours to use the internet to get your money's worth. (laughs) But if you were to go into most Starbucks, say like about 8 o'clock in the morning, and look and say, all right, who's here? And come back two hours later, most of them would still be there. It's a totally different atmosphere. It's fascinating. They are not in competition with each other. They're both selling coffee, but they both have a different way of going about it. And they are excellent companies, at fulfilling their mission. Here's my point in all of this. I think it's a healthy exercise for the church regularly to pause and to say, "How are we doing at fulfilling our mission?" I would propose to you that it's a healthy exercise for us as individual believers to ask God to help us to reflect on that question ourselves. How, how am I doing fulfilling the mission that you've entrusted to me? Is it more than a bookmark in my Bible? Is it more than just a statement on the bulletin? Am I really living this out? And that's the kind of reflecting I'm inviting you to do with me this morning. Back in 2014, soon after I was elected to this role in what was at that time the Central New York District, I get this daily uh, email devotion, still do today, and I love it daily. It's it's from the Asbury Seedbed, it's called. It's an extension of Asbury Seminary, and there's a daily devotion that comes out. The idea is sowing the seed for revival uh, or a new great awakening. And uh, the devotions are, are, are excellent, and I love the thoughts. But that particular day really grabbed my attention because it was about mission. But the author used a military concept or term that I was not familiar with to cause the reader to reflect on mission and to do the kind of reflecting that I'm talking to you about and inviting you to do today. And the term is commander's intent. Now, if you served in the military, you probably are, already know what I'm talking about. But for those of us that did not, even maybe students of history, you know, to me it was, it was new, the idea of commander's intent short definition would be this. The commander's intent describes how the commander envisions the battlefield at the conclusion of the mission. It shows what success looks like. Now, this expanded definition going on from that is a little wordy, but I think you can grab the expansion of the idea here as I read through this. Commander's intent fully recognizes the chaos, the lack of a complete information picture, changes in enemy situation, and other relevant factors that may make a plan either completely or partially obsolete when it is executed. The role of commander's intent is to empower subordinates and guide their initiative and improvisation as they adapt the plan to the unchanged battlefield environment. Commander's intent empowers initiative, improvisation, and adaptation by providing guidance of what a successful conclusion looks like. Commander's intent is vital in chaotic, demanding, and dynamic environments. Well, that's the Harvard Business Review definition of commander's intent. Maybe a historical example will help. You might remember from history uh, that part of the plan at D-Day was not just to send the you know the, the massive. Part of the plan was the beaches, right? But there was a part of the plan that involved sending troops behind enemy lines. You remember that? And that plan involved sending airborne troops, uh, some 13,000 paratroopers of the U.S. 82nd Airborne and 101st Airborne Divisions, and they were dropped behind enemy lines at night. And there were others, more than 13, or excuse me, more than 4,000 glider troops flown in by day. Now, if you remember, the weather on D-Day was not ideal. Particularly ideal for dropping soldiers behind enemy lines by parachute and by, ha- by gliders gliding in and landing in the places that the plan specified that they were to land in. And what happened was many of the troops that were dropped by parachute ended up miles away from where they were supposed to have been dropped. And many of the gliders that went in, uh, the same kind of thing happened. Chaos, right? We had a plan We had certain times and we were supposed to meet certain troops and do certain things. Everybody had responsibilities and as troops are being dropped and as troops are landing, there's the realization that we are not where we are supposed to be. And we are behind enemy lines. What do we do? And history tells us that many of those troops, not just the American troops, but the Allied troops, meeting together in hedgerows and in fields and in barns, getting together and connecting. And you know what? They accomplished Really, if you read about it, it's amazing what they were able to accomplish behind enemy lines. Their job was to keep the enemy from reinforcing the the front, which would be the beaches. And in most cases, they were very successful at doing that, even though the plan went out the window. You say, how did they do that? It's because they understood the commander's intent. They understood that Even if the plan goes out the window, the plan is, for example, to get into this town and to get that bridge and to keep the enemy from coming across that bridge and reinforcing us. And so troops improvised and they adapted. They did what they had to do to make sure that they could accomplish their part of the mission so those that were landing on the beaches could be successful. It's a great historical example of the idea of commander's intent. The point is this. I think commander's intent is a fascinating concept and way for us to think about and to evaluate how we're doing when it pertains to the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. Now hear me, Jesus has entrusted a mission to his church and what that means is that every single one of us in this room has a mission. Sometimes I think we have to be careful when we talk about the corporate dynamic of the mission that Jesus has entrusted to his church, where we can almost find ourselves saying, the mission applies to the church. The mission doesn't necessarily apply to me. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus entrusted a mission to his church, and his heart was that every person that would follow him would embrace the mission. So there's not a one of us that can excuse ourselves from this kind of evaluation. Jesus said, here's a job. Here's the mission. Go do it. But before we use the term to evaluate, maybe it'd be good to say two things. Number one, we're not talking here about any earthly general entrusting any kind of mission or plan to us to go accomplish something. We're talking about the great commander, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we're talking about a mission that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has given to us. I think another thing that we need to be mindful of is that this is not just a battle for fields and hills, uh, valleys and seas, or whatever the case may be. This is a battle that is spiritual. Right? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This isn't just a battle for territory. This is a battle for the souls of men and women. And Jesus said, Church, you have a part in the mission. Here's your mission go accomplish it. So with that in mind, if you'd open your Bibles or follow on the screen, I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 1, 1 through 8. And let's hear Jesus relay this mission and trust this mission to his fledgling church. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come? for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom. And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Commander's intent is a great concept for helping us as the church individual believers and corporately the church in evaluating how we're doing when it pertains to mission for various reasons. But the main reason is this, just this idea and concept of content, or intent, excuse me, the mission conclusion, what success looks like. Simply said, if I was a general standing before you and you were part of my responsibility, you were my troops, I said to you, you know what, I want you to go across this area, cross that river and go up there and take that hill. So if I was to say to you, okay, I'm about ready to send you out. Before I send you out, repeat to me, what does success look like in this mission? You're going to say, well, that means go out across the field, cross the river, and go to the top of that hill and take that hill. That is the definition of success. Not to drive down the road and go visit Grice's or go to uh, the pizza place or whatever the case may be, not to turn and do something else. It is to go across the field, go across the river, go to the top of that hill and take the hill. That is what success looks like. The great commander's intent, Jesus' intent, as we see expressed here in this passage of Scripture, is success for his church, is defined as going and being his witnesses. Locally, globally, everywhere. Listen to verse 8 again. But you will be, or excuse me, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew recorded Jesus' words to his disciples at that moment this way. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What does success look like in the evaluation of mission as it pertains to a church or an individual believer? It is this, being his witnesses, here, there, and everywhere. That is the definition of success. That is the target that we're aiming at, being his witnesses here, there, and everywhere. But listen, if I was your general and I was sending you out to go across the field, go across the river, and go up to take that hill, there's one thing that I couldn't do for you. I could make sure you had the best equipment in the world. I could make sure you had the best training in the world. I could make sure you had the best plan in the world. But one thing that I couldn't guarantee for you is that you would actually be successful in taking that hill, right? I could do everything, but you go out and I'm actually trusting, praying, hoping that you would accomplish that. But here's the thing. Jesus' intent, right, his, his granting or, or his giving of uh, his mission to the church to go be his witnesses. You see, Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has won the battle. So uh, as an earthly general, I can send you out with hope. Jesus sends us out with confidence. The battle has already been won. We're not being sent out to be witnesses with the hope that one day Jesus will win. We're being sent out as witnesses to the fact that Jesus has already won the victory. And in that, Jesus is sending us out to be his witnesses by word and by deed. In other words, we are to testify by the way we live, by the way we do business, by the way we raise our families, by the way we act with our neighbors, by the way we conduct ourselves, and by the things that we say To bear witness to that fact that Jesus has already won the victory. To me, that is so exciting and motivating. I don't go out on mission in doubt. I go out on mission with confidence. I'm here to say, hey, the battle's already over. Jesus has won the victory. And if you'll listen, I would love to share with you about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. He conquered sin and death. And uh, we are bearing witnesses to a victory, not bearing witnesses to something we hope will happen. Jesus says to his church, in word and action, give witness to who Christ is or who I am. I mean, what he has done, telling people about him everywhere and making disciples. So maybe we could say it this way, success as a Christ follower, success as a church is living lives completely surrendered to God, bearing witness in word and deed to the good news of his gospel, sharing the gospel with folks, seeing people come to know Christ and discipling them in his name. That is the mission of the church. Now, this idea of commander's intent is helpful because there's the intent, there's the mission. That's what the church is to be about the business of. But the reality is we all know that when we set out on mission, Uh, that uh, there's some other dynamics at play in that. And this concept of commander's intent is helpful. What I mean by that is, the first one would be this, the idea of keeping the big picture in mind. It's important, if I was your general, again, giving you that mission to take that hill, that I would do everything I could to help you to make sure that you didn't lose sight of the mission. And as you read through Acts, after Jesus has entrusted this mission to his church, he's communicated to them, here is the great commander's intent. We see that almost immediately the church was faced with the temptation of losing sight of the big picture and the focus that Jesus had called them to. In Acts chapter 4, we see threats from outside the church. The religious leaders of the day were saying to the early church, hey, you're going around and you're causing trouble talking about Jesus, quit it. And if you don't, we'll make you. I mean, that's basically what they said. But it wasn't just pressure from outside of the church. They started having troubles in the church. You see in Acts, kind of the first church squabble, Acts chapter 6, there's this issue with widows and uh, the care that the church was providing. That was a good thing, but some of the widows thought that other widows, the Jewish widows, were being treated a little more nicely. They were getting more and being treated with some preferential type of treatment. And so the other widows, the the Grecian widows, were complaining. And so here we have our first church squabble. And there's this danger of losing sight of the mission, right? The the apostles are having to figure out, what are we going to do with this issue? And so the apostles work together and figure out how they're going to handle that. But there was not only that. There was also the possibility of theological crisis. In Acts chapter 11, the church has to wrestle with the idea that the gospel was also, uh, by virtue of the fact that there were Gentiles that were receiving Christ and, and coming to know him, that, that this gospel wasn't just for Jews, it was also for for, for Gentiles now you know you scratch your head a little bit and you say when Jesus said I want you to go be my witnesses here there and everywhere what part of that doesn't include the Gentiles right you know it's like they get to this point in the history of the church and they're shocked right and they're like we got to stop and think about this and it's like well no didn't you just hear what Jesus said or don't you remember he said here there and everywhere well really what they were grappling was he really meant here there and everywhere he meant everyone this gospel isn't just for us It's our responsibility to take it to the world. And God is not excluding anybody from the possibility of a relationship with him and reconciliation with God. But you can understand when you think about these things how the church was tempted with the idea of of going sideways and losing sight of the big picture. As Christ's witnesses, we too must keep the mission, the big picture, as primary We must prayerfully work and help each other to keep distractions and tangents and busyness from keeping our focus on being disciples that make disciples. How easy it is to get distracted, isn't it, in our faith journey? Carmen and I have three uh, daughters. Uh, One, our oldest is now married, uh, two grandkids. Our middle daughter is in her last year of college, and our youngest is in her first year of college. And when our youngest, or excuse me, when our oldest, Alyssa, was just starting to play softball her very first year, you know, just kind of past the t-ball thing and just starting softball, just getting to the point where you stop looking at the birds in the outfield and actually really start paying attention, you know, that kind of thing. And she's playing in her first year, and very quickly we could see and uh, apparently her coach could see that there was a lot of talent there especially for just this young little girl and she was doing really well and i was really excited about that i'm the more i'm kind of more into sports carmen i think is because she she wants to be around me right so she's like i'll put up with it and watch football or whatever and uh, but she was excited too but I, I was really excited well one day her coach calls and he says hey we want to listen to be a part of our travel teams uh, we think, you know, she's got a lot of ability. We want her to, and I'm, think, I'm thinking, okay. First, I was like, well, wow, I mean, that sounds really cool. What dad wouldn't want their daughter to be on an all-star team and to travel and play? And, so, and, he, and I'm like, well, tell me a little more about it. And he says, well, we travel on the weekends. We travel to different states or whatever, and we play in these tournaments. Well, immediately, I'm thinking, ooh. And I said to him, well, I said, I said, look, I mean, I really appreciate you extending that opportunity to her, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, I'm a pastor, and I said, for us, the weekend is, the, is like the pinnacle of our week. I mean, we're with our church family. I just, Alyssa's not going to be able to participate. And I remember there was a pause for a minute, and he says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll take her. You don't have to go. We'll take her. She can travel with us and participate. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, right. And I said, no, I'm not going to have you know other people take my daughter and be away from me. I said, you're not understanding what I'm saying to you. As a family, we're committed to this and as much as softball and the traveling and all that would be wonderful, I, that's just not who we are, keeping, you know, in that sense, keeping the big picture in mind. And I remember the guy was absolutely dumbfounded. And I get it. He wasn't a believer, he didn't understand what I was saying. He was very polite about it, as I was. You know, but I remember sitting there thinking, you know, it's like I just said no to an opportunity, you know, for my daughter. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, i thinking, Lord, should I have said yes to that? I mean, is there a way to work that out? You know, but then it occurred to me, you know, just like I have had to, as, uh, to that point in my life, had to make personal decisions to keep primary the mission that Jesus has entrusted me to, and for me as a pastor, at the call that he's placed on my life, now I'm going to have to make those decisions with Carmen as a family. And we've got to decide and it's hard, day in and day out, raising kids, right? And, and all the busyness and everything going on in our lives. And most of it's not about good and evil. It's about better and best. And I'm thinking, we've got we've to be on our game here to make sure that the big picture always stays primary. I know you know what I'm talking about because I'm not, we're not the only couple. We're not the only family that just had to wrestle with these things. How easy it is. For the Lord and this mission that he's given us to become one of the things we do, not the main thing we do. Again, there's a whole lot of good things out there that God's entrusted to us. Isn't it fascinating that the very things many times he intends for us to give us to be a blessing become the things that we end up making primary? When what Jesus is intending us to do is to look at all of those blessings through the lens of the primary mission, and that is that he has called you and he's called me to be his witnesses in the world. Well, then there's this whole matter of chaos and uncertainty, and here we've got the temptation to shrink back from or give up on the mission. They say in military terms that the first engagement with the enemy, the plan is already changing. So the military recognizes that they're, you know, what's the, what's the phrase? The best laid plans of mice and men. My dad always says that. You know, we get into a project, oh, the best laid plans of mice and men. It's like, Dad, what do you mean by that? What he means is things aren't going the way we planned, so you just figure it out. Military recognize you can have the best plan, you can have the best training and all of that, but when you get into the battlefield, things change. You may have misestimated uh, the number of enemy troops. You may not have anticipated the weather, all kinds of things. It's just simply to say there is such a thing as chaos and uncertainty when it comes to engaging the enemy and accomplishing a mission. And boy, the early church understood this. Again, I mentioned to you Acts chapter 4, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. I mean, that was serious. The religious leaders, the political leaders, those who had power of the day said, Stop preaching Jesus or we will stop you. They did not stop preaching Jesus. They kept the mission primary so the religious leaders tried to stop them, right? They began to be persecuted. And they were, uh, some were arrested, Acts chapter 5. It kind of culminates in Acts chapter 6 with Stephen being stoned to death. You remember that? And the church is scattered at that point. Can you picture this? Jesus is ready to ascend to be with the Father, and he says, Guys, I've got a mission for you. And they're like, Yeah, let's do it. And he says, I want you to go be my witnesses. And they get t shirts made, and they all go arm in arm out into the world. This is going to be fun. And then all of a sudden, persecution comes. And some of them get killed, and they all get scattered. And what they came to realize right away was if we're going to stay attentive to the mission, it's going to be hard. And there is going to be chaos. And there is going to be uncertainty. Then you've got this guy Saul who was the main player in all of this. Talk about uncertainty. Saul, who was the main player in the persecution, some one day comes to the church and knocks on the door and says, hey, where can I sit? Right? Right? Saul gets converted, he becomes Paul. Can you imagine Saul showing up to Hyde Wesleyan church this morning and knocking on the door and coming and sitting in the front row? I'm here to tell you, I'd be a little nervous. We're talking about a guy who led the, the, you know, the attack on the church. Talk about uncertainty. Lord, what do we do? You said here, there, and everywhere. We didn't think you meant Saul. That right? I mean, would be scary, and it was scary for the church. Then you've got Philip who ends up in a a chariot with an Ethiopian and and this Ethiopian says, I believe, and he accepts Jesus and he tells his driver to stop and pull over so he can be baptized right there on the side of the road. I mean, what is going on? And then, as I mentioned, you've got Peter. The Spirit tells him to go and to share the gospel with a Gentile. And these are people you're not even supposed to eat with or associate with. The church hears news of this. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a part of that annual church conference? And they bring Peter in and they say, "What on earth are you doing?" And Peter explains it to him, and thankfully, you know the church gets it right in that moment. But my point is chaos and uncertainty. And you get that, too. Chaos and uncertainty enters our lives too. Sitting in the doctor's office, and he mentions the word "cancer. What on Earth just happened? Many times as a pastor sitting with parents it said, where did my sweet young girl or my sweet young man, where is he? Because the, this young person in front of me is not the same person, right? Sadly, he's gone astray or she's done this. I mean, you get it. Chaos and uncertainty is as much a part of our lives today as it was for the church back then. But listen, in Acts chapter 4, when the religious leaders threatened Peter and John and said, stop, they went back to the church. And if you read there, you'll note that their response was, as they prayed to God, not, God, what on earth did you get us into? Their response was, Lord, help us to stand up under it. Help us to stand up under it. God does not make light of chaos and uncertainty. What he does is say, remember the mission. And our response has to be something like, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with the report the doctor has given me. But I know that the mission that you've asked of me, what you have said success looks like in a believer's life is to be a witness and help me to stand up under this news and to be the witness you've called me to be. Help us as parents to stand up under this challenge of raising this young person or going through this ordeal. Help us not to lose focus of what you've called us to be. Help us to stay faithful to the mission and help us to trust in you. Help us to be bold in the face of this. And here's the best part of it all. This definition of commander's intent talks about improvisation and empowerment. And here we're talking about this ability to accomplish the mission. A military commander can empower their subordinates to improvise. Like I can say to you, I want you to go across that field and across that river, and I want you to take that hill. And I want you to know I give you permission to change the plan however you need to change the plan to get it done. But one thing that I cannot do for you and I can't guarantee to for you is, is to go out there and do it for you and to, and to guarantee, you know, victory. But listen, Jesus empowers his followers through the Holy Spirit in their mission. He doesn't just give them permission. Hear that again. He empowers you. Now, I send you out there, and I'm back here in the Hyde Church watching by satellite on my computer. You go do, you know... I, I send you out to accomplish the mission, but here's the difference with the great commander. He goes with us. We do not serve a God who stands off at a distance and says, here's the plan, go get it done and come back and tell me how it worked out. He says, I go with you, and it is in my power that you will accomplish the mission I've given you. Isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus isn't asking us to go out there and do it on our own. He says, I will be with you. Let's go. And not only that, I invite you to do it in my power, in my strength. Will you accomplish the mission? And as I read the scripture, I read the scripture to say that the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is the same power at work in us. That's radical, isn't it? Go be my witnesses. And by the way, the same power that I used that was demonstrated that first Easter morning when Jesus walked out of the tomb is the same power at work in you. And that risen Lord who walked out of that tomb lives in you. That is an amazing thing. And he says, Go accomplish the mission. So we are spirit filled in the sense of his power and presence, but we are also spirit led. And what I mean by that is this idea of improvisation works out in the church with what I like to call it a holy imagination. Jesus says, Go take the hill, go be my witnesses, and lean in to me for the power, but also the direction to be able to be effective witnesses for your day and your time. Many times, as a local pastor and as a district superintendent, I'm struck uh, with the fact that uh, we can get distracted, going back to the idea of big picture. Pews, chairs, hymns, choruses blues and reds and whites, carpet or not. You know what I mean? All the things that can... Listen, Jesus said, Use your imagination. I live in you. My power is available to you. Prayerfully discern how best to be my witnesses in this place and in this context, and I give you permission to use your imagination and to do what it takes creatively to reach people with the gospel. If jesus lives in us and he empowers us then if there's any responsibility on our part it's to be obedient to the holy spirit isn't it if you're empowering me if you're sending me then lord whatever it takes so i guess what i would say to you as a church and individually god has given you permission to be creative to have fun it is hard it's hard to stay focused on the big picture. It's hard to manage the chaos. And, and, but God is with you, and the power of the resurrection is at work in you. So don't be afraid to use methods and tools and different ways to share the gospel with people so in today's time and in this place, you could be most effective at reaching people for him. Not allowing secondary things to be primary, but allowing the mission to be primary and to stay focused on that. We can improvise and take spirit-led initiative to develop and use relevant methods and tools for effective, fruitful ministry to be effective witnesses. One of the greatest resources that I think the modern church has is the ability to, uh, whether it's through internet and books and all of that, we get to see all kinds of different ways churches are reaching people for Christ across the world. But one of the downsides of all that is the temptation to compare or to grab hold of methods and tools that somebody else is trying because it worked there. I believe all God is saying is, Clearfield, Hyde, Westland. Your responsibility is not to be like any other church. Your responsibility is to be the best church that you can be right here, today, and in this time. And your responsibility is to be on your knees and to asking God, how best can we reach our community? And when God leads you to run after that with everything you've got. And God promises to be with you and empower you to do that. That's so freeing, isn't it? Whether you're a small church, a country church, an urban church, it doesn't matter. You are unique. God has a plan for you and a purpose in his mission. And success is following, is leading in uh, being those witnesses and being willing and courageous to do what it takes to be most effective at reaching people for the Lord. So as your district superintendent... Or like I said earlier, as your family pastor, in a sense. I call you to embrace afresh the great commander's intent to be his witnesses here and hide in the surrounding area, region, nation, in the world. Stay true to the mission. Don't waver to the right or the left. God has called you to be his witnesses. Expect challenge and difficulty. If you are seeking to do this obediently, there will be difficulty. God did not promise us freedom from difficulty, but rather his power and presence in the midst of the difficulty. And he'll be faithful. Embrace that power and embrace his leading. Adapt and improvise. Have fun. Because you serve the risen Lord, and he's already won the victory. And your responsibility is to be a witness, to bear witness to that in word and deed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your well, really the high calling that you've granted us as your church. Thank you that there's not a one of us in this room that is excused from that or is not invited to that. We all have this call to be your witnesses. Help us today as we reflect on how we're doing in that. Help us, Lord, to take our, this, this mission and have it be living and real within us as individual believers and as a church family. I thank you for this great church and its rich history of truly living out faithfully the mission. But Lord, I believe just because of who you are and the way you work that the best days of the Hyde Wesleyan Church are out in front of it, not behind it. So Lord, help this church to be in unity and to run with everything they have and everything that you give them to accomplish the mission and the work you have yet for them. Bless this pastoral team. Bless this church family. And uh, may it always be a mark of this church uh, that uh, they faithfully embrace the call to be your witnesses here, there, and everywhere. In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. Now go and live out the mission.